All righty. Here are live. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Satish, Dinesh, Naveen, uh, who have joined us from different places of the world. Uh, let me introduce Satish first because he was the one who came early. So he deserves to be introduced first. Uh, Satish, thank you so much for coming over and um, let me introduce you. So Satish is a <clears throat> software engineer. Uh, he was, he has uh, been heading Red Hat for almost 17 years in Pune and other places. So he was the guy behind Red Hat. And he has been very passionate about deep tech and his company is called Dive. We're going to talk a lot about Dive and about his experience in the tech world and how he has been spearheading some fabulous companies like Red Hat and now Dive. Uh, welcome, Satish. Looking forward to speaking with you. Thank you, Amit. Uh, our next panelist is Naveen Garg. Naveen is a squash player and sometimes he works as well. Uh, He's a software engineer and he's from IIT and as, as all IITs do after the IIT, they go to US and that's exactly what Naveen also did. Uh, he worked in Texas for many years and Microsoft and now he's a company called NLP Core. Naveen, we would love to know about you, know about you and NLP Core when we talk more. Welcome aboard. Thank you. I'll do correct that I spent eight years in Europe as well. So. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, Dinesh is a founder of a company called Intellens, which and he's, he's a PhD in computer vision and deep learning. While he was working in a lot of technology areas, I think Intellens is about uh, uh, cameras in which you are able to detect uh, a lot of things which human eye cannot. And in, in order to reduce the response time, the in emergency situations, your cameras, your technology can help people behave faster, act faster, because, because the cameras can capture a lot which humans are not able to. Great work, Dinesh. Great, great work you're doing. Welcome aboard. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. I, I, so let me introduce myself as a guy. My name is Amit. Uh, I'm an engineer and a lawyer. And I'm basically a patent lawyer uh, practicing IP from the last 15 years. Uh, after my uh, engineering, I went to the States. I was working in Motorola as an in-house patent counsel. And that's where I learned about patents. Uh, came back to India, pursued my law from Faculty of Law at University. And now we have a law firm called Photon Legal. We primarily focus on IP and a bit of corporate law, uh, helping a lot of clients like Tata's, Bisleries uh, of the world, uh, a lot of US clients in securing their IP, patents, trademarks, copyrights around the globe. Uh, that's about us. Let me ask my first question to Satish. Uh, <laughs> Satish, you have been working in Red Hat for a very long time and then you took the plunge of leaving a cushy job and uh, starting your own venture. Mm -hmm. What do you need in order to do that? A lot of people in the world are have cushy jobs, they're not able to leave it. What do you need to leave your job and take the plunge and just do it? Uh, there, are, there, there are many reasons behind it, but I think the, but the core reason is uh, when you, when you spot an opportunity and uh, and you have the belief in terms of like how big and make that opportunity, I think that is where most of the decision made, at least in my case, like that is that is where it is. So so just to give a quick background and how we ended up with Divi, uh, I've been an open source guy from the mid nineties and and then became the uh, the engineering head for Red Hat and while building many products and and then there 
focus uh, while we are building those products is is to how do we commoditize things or how do we kind of break in the the lock-ins created by uh, some companies and kind of make it easy for people to consume uh, those services. So, so everything that we did through Red Hat is focused on that one goal, saying that commoditize, be it the be it the compute side of things, be it the storage side of things, or be it the application interfacing side of things. Right. So, um, as we are working on on that area, we we realized okay, data is the is the next big big thing because many of the companies are focused on. Uh, storing data, right? There are many, many storage companies out there who, and Red Hat also has storage solutions which only allow you to store data. But uh, data is becoming the, the DNA for every organization today, right? Be it the technology organization or a non-technology organization, uh, data is the thing that is driving them. So our focus or the opportunity we uh, notice is the trust levels on the data is, is very low, right? In terms of uh, how do we how do an organization secure data from both internal and external threats uh, people invest companies invest a lot in terms of countering the external threats but uh, when it comes to internal stuff uh, uh, it is not at the, the same level of investment in terms of how do you protect your data and then how do you exchange data between different endpoints and how do you make sure that okay, the people who are receiving the data uh, is receiving the same set of data that you send them. There's no tampering that happened in between. So, so we looked at data as a foundation and tried to see how do we build some of these primitives, then which can then be leveraged by all the platforms that is consuming data, so that every output that has been generated by decision making system can be can be really trusted. So, so we spot that as an opportunity, and uh, and we spot that opportunity way back in 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 2017, and but. Uh, we were very clear saying that look, this is not something uh, a technology that we create as something that only Dive can do, uh, because solving trust at the scale of internet is not a single is not something a single company can achieve. So, so we looked into kind of collaborating with different bodies in terms of organizations and standard bodies and trying to um, kind of start some conversations around it, and which led to creating a couple of standards uh, at, the, at the W3C uh, for in terms of how does the data formats look like. Because the key is to make sure that these data or this these kind of patterns that we create, this remains interoperable and so that any applications can consume it. Um, and that moment kind of uh, uh, took a turn last year where we formed a global foundation um, under the Linux foundation called Trust Over IP. Um, so this is like we and another 28 companies came together to form this. And the goal was like, Yes, this is a, a common challenge many companies are trying to solve and, the, and that is leading to different implementation, different standards, and it is also creating uh, chaos at the market in terms of what to be used. So let's have this foundation, which is which will operate at a similar way how the TCP IP standard got uh, standardized uh, long back. Um, and so the, 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 the foundation is not creating a new standards. It is basically consolidating all the existing standards and saying that again, yeah, this this body use a different layers. Uh, and that has taken uh, a nice adoption uh, in a way. It now has more than 200 companies around the world who is participating in it and, and kind of leveraging uh, leveraging that. So so things are looking good. And if I come to Dive, uh, with all these different blocks coming coming real or becoming real now, the, the real focus for us is to uh, is to reimagine the digital transaction. Uh, when I say digital transaction, both online and offline, reimagine di digital transaction with instantly verifiable data as the foundation, because that can actually make every transaction look like as frictionless as what we experience in a credit card transaction today. Right? It's, it should it should be as cute and as 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 frictionless as possible. And that's that's like the not so so short overview of like what we are doing. <laughs>
Makes sense. Makes sense. So you're doing a great job on data. So yes, data is actually the key for everything that is happening. Uh, there's a lot of laws around data also, uh, privacy laws, a lot of GDPR laws and all of that. Right. And uh, a lot of big companies are thriving on data, whether it's Google or other Facebook of the world. They are launching the next product based upon how customers and consumers are behaving and consuming data. Uh, so if you are in that space, very promising and you are trying to trying to make a environment, make an ecosystem by joining hands with a lot of superb companies that you're already working with 30 plus, 200 plus companies in uh, in handling data the way it has to be handled. Great work, Satish. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you more in the, in the, in the panel. Sure. Uh, Dinesh, over to you. Tell us, <clears throat> tell us your why. Why are you doing what you're doing? So... In terms of that, I've always been a serial entrepreneur. I started my first company when I was 17. I saw an opportunity, took it up. Came to Canada. I was a CTO of an augmented reality organization. I met my co-founder. He was working in a next generation 911 project uh, in US. Even today, you pick your call and call 911. Even if there is a flood or any kind of conditions, even there is a power cut, you get floods of calls. And sometimes whenever these calls happen, you don't have enough resources to deploy. You don't have enough ambulatory services. You don't have enough fire services. You don't have the police services and so on. So when these conditions happen, what happens in the uh, right now is chronologically, whichever call comes first, they send an ambulatory service to that. They don't identify what is more severe to another. For example, if I'm in a car and something happens to me, I just say, twist my ankle and I'm feeling that it's severe. But whereas in another condition, there might be a kid who needs immediate medical care at that situation, but the ambulatory services would be applying to me if I make the call first. And sometimes it's too overwhelming in these conditions. And right now, uh, when we had this idea, we went to IBM and we spoke to them saying that this is what our idea is. And they were interested in taking us into IBM Tech Accelerator because that's a huge problem which IBM was also solving in terms of video analytics. Because right now, if you see in the market, there is a lot in terms of images, but not a lot in terms of video. Because image is much more easier to analyze what is happening. But as a video, it's a lot difficult because lighting condition matters, environment matters, weather, so noise, because a camera could be panning. So there is a lot of things which you're talking about. So we were interested in that space. And then when we spoke with some of the first responders, even around, even in the first world countries, what they have cameras around the world and they have cameras everywhere. What they do is whenever they get an alarm, they go back to the video center. If at all the alarm is ambiguous, they go back to the video center. They try finding out where, what happened. It takes them 20 to 25 minutes to contact them. And in terms of the US, it's... Uh, a $1.8 trillion project, which has been happening for the past eight months, uh, eight years, sorry. So this is what we wanted to solve. We wanted to solve, how can we analyze things? And then we came down to video sector and IoT data centers, which is already around the world. But if, when you talk about video surveillance, everyone gets their mind only on one thing, facial recognition, and it is all about privacy. But we wanted to prove to the world that it's not just about facial recognition, but it is also about the safety and the safety around that particular place. When you're installing a camera in your location, you want to be alerted when something is going wrong, rather than 
you know it identifying the facial recognition or just storing the data into a video source and deleting it in every 60 days or 180 days according to the privilege so we wanted to address that situation that's how we came down and we built an ai which can analyze incoming data string and pick out anything which is being different or different to a human eye it's like a pair of eyes which is looking into it but it is sitting on your own server so you don't have a concern on privacy. And the other thing is we don't collect facial data, but we actually collect only the metadata information. So when something is going wrong, rather than someone looking into 40 different cameras or hundreds of cameras, you would be looking into five or six cameras. So that reduces the response time for a human attention. And human mind is more prone to fatigue. And in terms of diversion, they see a smaller Facebook ad, they would be immediately on their phone rather than looking on the videos, what's happening. So we would just build, it, build an alert system, which can alert them when something is going wrong. So this is how the idea came in. And right now we are partners with some of the top companies like IBM, we are doing with Xilinx. We are also doing some smart city projects with uh, the Middle East and in North America. Excellent, wonderful work, Dinesh. Dinesh, superb story, superb work that you're doing. A follow-up question to you. You mentioned that you started your entrepreneurial journey. It's a journey. Uh, it's never a destination. At 17, right? You keep moving. You do keep doing new work. New ideas keep coming. How should an entrepreneur zero down on an idea? So many ideas come to us. So many problems are, exist. How do you know that this is the one I want to solve? This is the one that's close to my heart. Because that, that, that decision will, will define your next five years or 10 years of your work in that company. How do you zero down? So whenever I had the idea, the first thing which I would do is talk to people on how much is this actually a problem to them. And before actually diving into solving a problem, talk to people on if this problem is solved, how many people would be benefiting from it? And how much are they willing to pay for it? For example, when I spoke about the project in terms of videos, video analytics are there in the world for a very long time, but it's all about using the data for the right use. And when we spoke, we saw that it's a $1.8 trillion project, plus still they wanted to change the cameras. But when you're having a problem, all you have to do is find a few people in the same market and talk to them in saying, if this problem is solved, what is it benefiting you? Is it adding a value to your product? Can you increase your process time into a product? If so, what is the parameters we are talking about? Sorry about that. So then we can talk about, uh, talk about the values and what that problem can solve and how much can you actually put your time as a product. Got it. So your dog is missing you. Yeah, she's definitely missing me. <laughs> Work from home, <laughs> Naveen, thank you so much for that, Dinesh. Uh, that was really helpful. He, he's talking about product market fit, talk to people how much they can pay, what's the market size, and those things determine whether the idea should be pursued or not. Uh, Naveen, tell us a bit more about NLP code. You got to unmute yourself. Thank you. <laughs> so my journey kind of parallels the others. You know, I spent some time in the corporate world. And to me, you know, that, as you mentioned, you know, what is the idea that you really want to solve that defines your next five to 10 years? And that indeed, you know, uh, took me last couple of year, years at Microsoft, you know, as to if I really want to do something, 
what is it that going to be that Microsoft one day or Google another day or Amazon another day I don't end up doing, you know, ironically, you know, I chose something that now they are all doing, you know, but at the time, you know, when I left, uh, you know, search was just happening and it was, you know, either keyword searches, you know, or it was uh, page ranking systems that were the, you know, the two major search techniques that are out there. And we wanted to do something very different. We wanted it to be contextual, you know, and uh, the idea was, can we uh, just try to get the context from what user is looking for. So given, you know, a user keyword, rather than finding out what other users have searched around those keywords, we actually look for the actual sentences and phrases in the corpus and put some value around that sentences and phrases. And that was essentially the natural language processing, whether these words are nouns, if they are pronouns, whether they are verb defining, you know, relating to pronouns and those neighborhoods actually we attached more value than the, you know, other words and we built this knowledge graph. And essentially that became genesis of what we did. And we spent next actually three, four years, in fact, fighting the patent office, but we ended up getting, you know, about, you know, 18 different, you know, claims. And then we extended those claims to add even, you know, user feedback so we can actually apply you know user feedback into so we have in situ you know feedback correction all that built into our technology and uh, going you know relating it back to what Dinesh was seeing you know that it is you know okay great you know we build this platform are there any use cases you know is that really valuable is it solving real problems and more importantly are people willing to pay for it and i think you know that is really very very important question and we, you know, coming from a very deep technology platform, we were very lucky to find uh, some very specific use cases. I mean, I happen to be in Seattle, which also actually, as you may know, not only just the IT hub, but it is also a biotechnology hub. We have some of the key, you know, uh, biological research companies here. In fact, the Center for Infectious Disease Research is here. The Cancer Research Center is here. Neurological Neurosurgery uh, Center is here. And I happen to know some of uh, my friends, as you mentioned, and I play squash, you know, that's a great connection to have. And, you know, one of the, uh, actually the head of, you know, uh, life sciences or the infectious disease research, you know, we were having this discussion and they said, Naveen, you know, we can apply your engine to our problems. And, you know, he brought up a very specific problem with that, you know, when they do a research, you know, human body has about 800 different proteins. And when they start, you know, uh, research, majority of infectious disease research, you know, start at a very molecular level. They have these yeasts, you know, which has very primitive form. And they select only eight to 10 proteins on which they want to do a research. And they want to basically build, you know, antibodies that can fight a particular protein set. You know, it's all of, I mean, actually what is happening with coronaviruses, you know, very relevant to that as well. Whether it was, you know, this particular center, by the way, has been working on Zika, Dengue, malaria and recently Ebola as well as recently on coronavirus. And I mean, coming from, you know, an IT world, this was a good, you know, uh, introduction to me into biology. And the challenge they had was, you know, how they can, you know, just whittle it down from 800 odd, you know, thousands of these proteins down to few sets on which they should build their hypothesis. 
So they actually apply our technology or our search into the existing publications into you know, scientific media. So they can go ahead and apply our search engine and find all the relevant you know, research. We can go really specifically drain down to protein pathways, protein transformation, protein to protein interactions and surface that as a knowledge graph that very quickly provides them references to the very specific articles they're looking into. So that's a very, you know, uh, you know, applicable use case, solving a real problem. So that has been essentially our driving factor. And from there, you know, we have evolved into uh, essentially a team collaboration, uh, information extraction suite and pipeline. And we are very excited about bringing our next product in that line. So that's our journey. Excellent. Excellent. Wonderful, Naveen. It's a great work and great application, especially in terms of saving lives and making people realize the importance of these algorithms. And because a lot of people are searching on Google with a lot of different styles of writing and not everybody's style is, is comprehensible. And you're making it comprehensible by going into the depth of the natural language of the people and deciphering it, making it comprehensible by the systems and therefore they're getting the right results. Great work. Uh, you mentioned that you have already filed a couple of patents in this domain. Why have, so what's your why for filing the patent applications? Uh, that's a very important part, uh, question. So, you know, in my opinion, or at least, you know, when we started work on this, one of the important reasons for filing the patent was actually, you know, twofold. One, and to us, that's more important, is having our own defense. So this is a very strong defense mechanism for us, at least back then, you know, me coming out of Microsoft, one of the big players, you know, they had, you know, as you know, Bing search engine already. Uh, we have Google, which has its own search engine. We wanted to do something, uh, you know, different, unique. And we believed, you know, uh, having our own patent in the space will provide us a defense in the long run, you know, so for example, today there is GP2, GPT3. There are a lot of these, you know, uh, natural language based, uh, uh, you know, they have gone into billions of variables, you know, uh, to provide uh, these searches, you know, so, you know, fair enough, you know, they can do a very, very good job. So to us, having our own patent gives us this legal defense that, you know, this is something that we have built, we have in invented, and we actually have a patent dating back to 2014, you know, this is seven years ago, right? So, so we can point, you know, that yes, you know, we actually have a history of working in this space. And, you know, if it comes to, we are very willing to cross license, you know, we, we are very willing to allow people to use our technology as long as there is an acknowledgement that this is our technology. And secondly, I think uh, another important part of going with the patent is, I think this is probably core to your discussion as well is, you know, when it comes to valuation of a company, you know, they also look at, you know, what is strategic about a given company, whether it's a talent acquisition, whether it's, you know, customer acquisition, whether it's, you know, the attach rate, or whether there is, you know, a, a strategic uh, component, the technology. And to us, you know, having this into our portfolio gave us that additional oomph. So, there you go. Excellent. Bang on, bang on uh, on it. Thank you so much, Naveen, for that. Uh, Satish, you have moved from corporate to now your own company. 
uh, where do you see your company going with funding? Do you want to keep bootstrapping? Are you bootstrapped? Do you already have investors on board? What's on the valuation side? What's about the investors? How do you take it forward? Uh, you're muted. Sorry about that. Uh, so we already have investors on board and at the same time we are uh, currently going through the process of our next fundraise. So we are somewhere in the middle of that. Um, and I do see uh, the change that happens in the, the conversation from comparing how the conversations are happening now versus how it was happening last year. When And, and it, it goes in all directions. It goes in uh, uh, the technology side. It goes in the, the ability to execute. Uh, it goes in also look in terms like um, how do we execute at the the given scenario now everybody is going through right because and, and this is also um, i think a common challenge faced by uh, many deep tech companies because many of these deep tech platforms uh, when an organization has wants to implement it uh, they have to change or th th there's always a change process associated with it and and whether the companies are willing to do that change process uh, in a time like this uh, uh, so, so there's a lot, lot more questions that comes in that direction in terms of like, okay, uh, where do you guys see yourself compared to last year in terms of your product market fit or are you going to make any changes in terms of how you're approaching uh, your customers or any change in terms of your target market where uh, you go. So, but yes, it is uh, the conversation or, or that le leads up to how you value a company. Uh, it has multiple components and, 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 and our experience so far is like, the criteria keep changing by the, uh, the the level of funding you're looking at or the, or the stage at which uh, you, you are in. Uh, because the first set of investors who come in, uh, they want to be really convinced that, okay, there is a real value prop behind what we're doing. And, and they only looked at the team behind it and whether they had the capability to execute it. And because the dream uh, we presented at that point of time, it was, it was definitely a dream at that point. Uh, and it is mostly theoretical, saying that again, um, we see challenges, we see challenges, and but to, to overcome those challenges, it, it needs to work in multiple phases. Like you build product, you build or collaborate with other companies to build standards. And, and these things are kind of interlinked because if the standard things doesn't go anywhere, the product might not get the acceptance or the adoption that we are looking for. So that, but the initial set of investors really look at, okay, are we, is the team really, uh, has the ability to, to execute on all these different fronts uh, with limited resources, right? But the now that one year down the line, when we are going through the second fundraise, um, the, the question is more around uh, how do you focus? Because um, I, we do see the, 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 the place at which we operate. Uh, we do see even in deep tech, uh, there, are, there are two different categories as we see it. One uh, is deep tech applications um, that that really kind of focused on one industry or, or one use case or this is something they will solve. Um, and then there are deep tech platforms, which is, uh, which is something that um, any organization, be it a startup or other organization can leverage to build their own domain specific applications, right? So, so we fall into the second category of uh, a deep tech platform and which makes it even more uh, you're more challenging to, to explain it to uh, the investors because um, it's, a, it's a platform that can be used anywhere. So I always take the example of like, it is something that is very similar to uh, talking about a database, like a storage data database, all those things. You cannot really say that, okay, oh, this only goes in education or this only goes in pharma. 
but a, a real platform game is all about uh, you, you're providing building uh, building blocks and then the other companies uh, will come and build on top of it and then make domain specific applications based on that because as a single company uh, having a dream or, or even positioning a dream scenario we can solve every problem and we can build solution for every domain is not going to be practical at all so so if you're in a, in a platform game i think the the confidence investors really look at is uh, having a strategy like that also having an understanding that uh, you alone cannot solve everything though you might be understanding the difficulties or, or opportunities you might be spotting opportunities in different uh, domains uh, but you cannot be focused on all those things you need to if you're doing it as a platform game you're really really focused on platform and really abstract and kind of build it in a way that other builders can leverage it but if you are in a in an application game then really focus on that application with uh, a very specific use case right and that is that is our experience so far and uh, uh, and the conversations are going good i'm, I'm sure that again, the next level of conversation is going to be very very different uh, and and the third and the last point i'll also say that when we go to investors and with the deep tech thing, always look for uh, uh, the investors who are interested in uh, investing in platform because the platform game is not is very different than a deep tech or platform game is very different than the, the consumer product game uh, because it takes time. It takes time to, to establish. Um, you can build it, you can demo it, but for an organization to adopt it and, and go through their change process and then kind of make it like, yeah, this is now kind of providing value. It takes time. It is um, so. Uh, so we also need uh, everybody who is coming in, be it uh, the the partners who are helping you to build it in terms of uh, associates or the investors who are coming in, the advisory board members who get in. We all need to make sure that we are all on the same page so that okay, uh, we don't get distracted uh, with kind of you're building with a big dream and then suddenly you say that okay, there is so much of pressure. It's like okay, scale down your stuff and then go focus on something else, which might be a good thing from an economic point of view, but it, it might be pretty hard to kind of get back to the actual story or the thing that you're, you're building. So, so select Absolutely. your partners carefully, both associates and investors. Correct. So, 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 so these, you clearly mentioned that, of course, you must choose your investors carefully. Uh, you should not just choose the money, but yep. also choose the people behind the money, what their vision is. Uh, how do they think? Are they would they become your partners or would they become your foe? Now uh, the vision has to be aligned. If it's a B two B company or B two C company, they're totally different game plan. Right. Now, <clears throat> one thing you mentioned. Now you the the criteria of the investors in the beginning is who are the founders? What's the team behind <laughs> at the ideation stage? And once basically, team is more important than the idea. Okay. Uh, and then gradually, uh, what's your revenue? How many customers you got? Uh, all of those also come into play. Right. For a deep tech companies, the question is, for deep tech companies, what are the different criterias for valuation in a B2B space? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk from my experience so far. Uh, so, so the valuation uh, discussions mostly goes around in terms of, uh, definitely, it, 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 one, it focuses in terms of what we were able to achieve so far. Uh, um, so compared to the theoretical part, which we uh, were primarily using to convince the initial set of um, investors to now that we are in a different stage. So they really look at um, what's the execution history of this team in terms of what they've managed to achieve so far. Uh, and, and that is not just about 
developing the product, but it kind of uh, shows how is the company thinking to take this to market. So, so all the things that I talked about in terms of building partnerships or building um, other collaborative models where we bring in other partners also to kind of say that again, we're bringing this along with others so that again, it, it proves two things. One, um, it proves a point that there are not just us as a company who is worried about this issue. There are many more companies who are, who are worried about the same challenges and then they all want to get into a place where they can build or use things that are interoperable and using open standards and things like that. So, so one is like okay, having a validation in terms of like, what's your go-to-market approach and what's the collaborative model uh, and how you're building that stuff. The second uh, comes in in terms of uh, how are we handling the, the, the customer um, engagements or the customer conversations or how do we actually, um, what's the kind of uh, tactics we use there? Uh, like for many companies, like they they all understand there is a challenge when it comes to data security, data integrity, data exchange. They, they do understand those things, but uh, it, it's also a chicken and egg issue uh, in a way that when you talk about a data exchange uh, to to fulfill its potential, it needs to make sure that okay, every company who is part of the ecosystem needs to be part of a network like this or a system like this so that they can leverage um, or maybe using an application that can actually do things. And those things will take time. So. So how do we handle that chicken and egg issue? I think that that's another conversation that uh, investors will uh, dig deep into. And not to say that, look, the, the important thing there is, in, in most of the cases, we might be trying out things and, and be honest with investors or honest with partners kind of saying that these are our current thought process based on our conversation with customers or with stakeholders. And we think this, this is something that is going to take us there. but. Those approaches might change in, in, in a way like market reacts or, or once you implement your first solution, uh, you, you directly work with customers, you might understand uh, more areas where or, or different ways where you can take this solution forward. So, so always make sure that again, we, we, we have an ability to adjust to, to the market demands um, um, and, and the way we respond to the market demands. And then. So, so that, that's another um, thing that investors look into in terms like uh, how flexible the team is uh, to handle different set of challenges. Uh, so a common thing that, that that keep on I keep on getting as a question on the technology side is like, um, how much are we married to the technology components that we have now? Because the the world around us is changing so fast, and it cannot kind of say that like, look, uh, we have a stack that can um, as it, it it as it is can live for maybe another ten years. Like things has to become uh, there are different pieces that might undergo changes. Um, and which might also lead to choosing something different, maybe two years down the line. So, so how flexible, how adaptable are for are us for such thought process and such such kind of changes? So, so they also look for that that kind of flexibility. So, um, so and then in in our experience so far, it is like it might take multiple conversations to to build that confidence because the, the initial set of conversations that happens is that is more focused on getting to know the team, getting to know their passion, getting to know what they're building, what opportunity they're seeing. And, but after that initial conversation, then there is always uh, independent conversations or very focused conversations on different elements in the The market focus itself could be multiple conversations that might come as a follow-up discussion. Technology could be another set of discussion that happens. So, so make sure that we, the team um, or, the, or the founders are really prepared to handle these conversations and, and also uh, be very sure or, or 
be in a mode that you are willing to accept feedback because a lot of times uh, I have been on the other side also in terms of like helping some of the uh, investors to put their money in, but um, some of the uh, things that we see in uh, with it, with a with a pitch or some of the discussions is um, some of the startups jump into uh, pretty much in a defense position, like trying to defend uh, what they already have, like not accepting the feedback, and that's. Um, that's not a good strategy because um, you accept the feedback, whether you execute, you change, that's a different call. But when you uh, discuss with a potential investor, uh, the feedback is coming from their experience. They might or might not be very aware about the, the domain or the technology that we're building. So the feedback is mostly coming from their experience, right? So, so accept it. And, and, and if you don't have an answer right away, yeah, take some time and then, then, then send them the actual response in terms of like what it is, right? So, um, <laughs> Yeah, I think those are some of the things that we have gone through and that helped us in terms of establishing the value right, right, in terms of like rather just only focused on a value based on numbers because in, in most of the deep tech, most of the things are in, in projection, which is like yes. me down the line, five years down the yes. line. So, yes. And the customers you're getting in, um, they're not being customers in a way that like how the eventual product will be will be sold. Um, you might be getting some revenues in terms of pilots, POCs, but that is not something that you can base as a revenue to uh, to project. So, so that's where my earlier point comes into picture. Uh, when you get investors who also understand um, similar domains or similar platforms like deep tech needs a different moment. Um, I think that level of uh, understanding is is really really needed because otherwise it will be. It'll, it'll be a pain. You might get the money, but it'll be a pain to sustain that that relationship going forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Satish, thank you so much for bringing that point home. I think what Satish is emphasizing on the point that you must have investors who have the same vision. They, they are aligned to your vision. Your projections also matter, not just your current revenue. The market in, in, you which are, in, you, in, the, in which you're operating is also very important. Your market size, your, your future growth, your year-on-year uh, -year growth, your, your exponential growth, your hockey stroke growth, or your linear growth, all these things also matter, and your flexibility also matters. Your ability to accept feedback matters. A lot of things are determined in order to have the right valuation for your company. So it's not just one number, there are multiple attributes which define your company's valuation. Thank you so much, Satish, for bringing that point home. Uh, Dinesh, over to you. <clears throat> uh, so you have been you have been doing companies and starting and exiting for many many years. Would you want to start a company in India or US or Canada? Where do you want to start your company and why? So it all depends on what is your market. When you talk about uh, if see if you're talking about a consumer app, India is the best market in order for that particular application. And the now, irrespective of even the Facebooks or Google of the world, they depend on the population of India in order for all those things. And when you talk about the tech talents, which has been in India, is immense. But currently, I have uh, I, I'm in the Canada. I have a Canadian organization. But the support which you get from the government side in order for starting a startup and executing it is immense in North American sites. So you have a lot of potential in what they can help you in. Because when you when you're trying to sell a vision. In India, they would ask you one question is, do you have a product? Is someone paying for you? And how much are they paying you today? And how much will they pay you tomorrow? And they would want to see your six months back. 
But when you're starting here, they see your idea and what is your market size? What's your go-to-go market strategy? They believe in your vision and you. That's a difference. But they, they just believe in numbers. So there is a give and take between both of things. Currently, we are located in Toronto, Canada, and we also have a team in India, which is located in Bangalore in order for working with us. So we have a hybrid team. So most of our tech team is located here plus over there. And in terms of talent, both the places are equal. But when you talk about the support from government, Canada and North America is better, but we're also in terms of strategy. For example, when we started, our whole purpose was to solve the 911 issue or support the cameras or support the things. When you talk about North America, though, that's where the privacy concerns are also, like the big brother is watching. Right. So when you talk about 911 and emergency conditions here, there are a lot of prevalences which is given. For example, we are doing a current product with one of the large vendors in North America for finding the fault detection in the electrical line and gas pipeline using cameras and drones and other conditions. That's immense market. So the, in terms of market adoption, it's easier. It's easier to sell that. Hey, this is my pilot. Try it. And it's a POC. Take it up for six months and let's have a conversation on how to build this product together. We have this great vision of the product and this is what initially, there are early adopters which is willing to go ahead and try your product away before they paying you. Because payment is a secondary category. First thing is someone has to believe in your product that this can help them out. Unless until someone is being an early onboarder, no matter how much you build as an idea, how much you have it as a product, it'll never see the days of life. And uh, there is a lot of other intellectual properties which has been registered in North America. That's another perspective. And even right now, if you're trying to file the, uh, the patent initially, you file it for the US and then you take it for the other countries. That's a general norm which is going on around all the world. Even we have two intellectual properties which has been registered, which was in US. And then we got it converted into Canada and the rest of the world. Excellent, wonderful. So what Dinesh is saying that it depends on your idea. You can, you can even, if it's a B2C, B2C app, you go to a populated country like India. If it's B2B and you need support of the, of the government, of the agencies, of the infrastructure, you need to be in the North America. For example, if you were the camera space and if you're doing analytics on camera, the cameras must already have been installed. Only then you, will, you can talk about doing the analysis of the camera. The cameras are not installed in developing country or you cannot do any analytics on them. Uh, that's a great point. And of course, the government in these uh, countries, US, Canada, are also more supportive, more conducive of your idea. They're not just looking at your numbers. They're looking at much more than that, what problem you're solving and beyond that. <clears throat> great point, Dinesh. What's your experience on investors, with investors? So in terms of investors, it's one of the primary thing in your product. Because you might have a product and an idea, you might have a, a, a client which is interested in trying it out, but an investor plays a very vital role. The two things which they are interested in is, how, what's your go-to-go strategy for the market? And how are you gonna actually attract more customers once it is down the line? And you would want someone who is already knowing something about the space, not someone who's just gonna put the money in and who's gonna ask you in 12 months, hey, what is my returns? If you're having a client, if you're having an investor like that, your vision springs. Because your all your focus is on what to answer to an investor down the line and how can I get the returns to it, rather than focusing on your idea. So when you talk about investors, there are a lot of people. First thing you have to find out is is the investor interested in this space? Has he invested in any other company which is prior to this on the similar space? 
at least relative. If that's a condition, then you talk to him on how you can actually get your idea and how you can actually partner with other companies. Because you should be open for that too. Because there is a lot of times it's a conflict of interest saying that, hey, I'm doing that better than the other company which you've invested doesn't actually sell the product. It's all about what can you do it in a point it's sync with other companies and are they having a portfolio of companies, which is very important. Have they, have they built on any deep tech? Because traditional companies, when I started my first company, it was all about what number am I getting today? Tomorrow can I increase it? But now in terms of deep tech, like emerging tech, like quantum computing, or it could be AI, your initial time of one to three years goes in building the product. You're getting the data collection, you're building your tech stack, you're modifying the different perspectives because it's a new idea which is coming into market. At this point of time, it is very important for you to get someone who knows what the stack is, who knows what the, you know, the pathway for building this product or go to go market is, and who also knows what an intellectual property is in a, interested. And the other thing which you would want your investor to know is what kind of exit strategy are they looking at? Are they looking at an IPO or an acquisition? What are their uh, preference? Is that aligning with you? If you're talking about an acquisition, can they actually get you to someone who's connected to that space? So all these parameters works very important when you're choosing an investor. Excellent. That's those are again, great tips. Uh, again, I think you are again trying to bring Satish's point home. It's very important to choose your investor carefully, align your visions, align your future so that you don't get divorced in the marriage. It's like a marriage, right? It's going to continue for a few years. So you don't, you're not just dating. Uh, great points, uh, Dinesh, again. Uh, over to you, Naveen. Naveen, you mentioned a very wonderful point in the last round. You mentioned that when you started this company, <coughs> NLP Core, you were thinking and you were expecting that Googles and Microsofts and Facebooks will not do what you're doing. That is one philosophy of starting an idea which these people will not be able to replicate or will not want to get into. That's one philosophy of starting a, starting a venture. A second philosophy which I have come across in the last few years is people are trying to solve small problems, which let's say Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and Amazon are not solving. And they would acquire you in five years because they would want to do something which you have done. So like imagining that gap, which they're not doing, and tomorrow you will fit it, fit in that gap. After five years, you will be worth billions and you will be just, you will just be plugged in into their ecosystems, which they are not currently aware of or not currently paying attention to. So these are two different philosophies. How do you choose one of these? How do I, so in other words, how does, how does the innovator, how does the entrepreneur in the deep tech space choose one of these two philosophies? Uh, <clears throat> we do get asked this questions, you know, when we are talking to potential investors ourselves, you know, so it is, uh, you know, very, very relevant to our discussion. Uh, one of the things that I have always maintained is I think as an entrepreneur, uh, one should not, uh, and this is, you know, my personal belief. So uh, others I'm sure will have a different opinion here is that one should not think too much about the exit strategy, you know, whether it's IPO or whether it's merger and whether it's getting acquisition by one of these, you know, big players. Uh, instead, I think, you know, and very relevant to our case is find those uh, niches or use cases where our technology and our stack can provide 
end-to-end uh, -end solution to a pain point that the customer has and that the customer is willing to pay for. And if we do this right, and if we can make it viral and we actually can leverage it and demonstrate it as a viable platform, the right things would happen. You know, if the technology is great, if the platform is something that scales from one vertical or one customer problems to 10 customer problems, you know, uh, you know, either, you know, the, your venture itself was have, will have, you know, legs to stand on its own that you may not need those uh, players or, you know, at least it'll give you valuations that uh, the big three or a big four would be willing to pay top dollars for it. So to me, you know, uh, I would rather focus on, you know, the fundamentals of building your company, making your entrepreneurial journey. That would be, uh, in my opinion, having something uh, as a strategic asset, you know, be it IP in terms of technology, it could be a hardware piece, you know, it could be, you know, uh, deep tech as we were talking about. And then finding the use cases on which you can build a product and in my case, product and a platform. You know, that should be our focus, you know, find the right set of investors who believe in the same journey with you. And then let's go on the journey where it leads us. Absolutely. Makes sense. I think that's again a wonderful perspective. I think what, what Naveen is trying to bring home is that uh, <clears throat> a company is like your baby, right? You don't get a baby in life because you want to sell it off. You are nurturing it. You are building it. You are feeding it. You are giving your time, effort, money. That's the way you give to your baby. So an idea is not to how to make money out of the baby. Yes, tomorrow, of course, the baby is making money for you. You are retired and, the, and the, your kid is making money for you. That's good. But then perhaps you should not be starting into a venture in order to sell it out. Uh, I'm not sure if I have to use the right analogy, Naveen, but uh, <clears throat> thank you so much for, I think that's very important because if you're building something for the, for the purpose of selling it, you perhaps will not be giving you 100%, but if you're building something for creating value, for making a difference, for making a change, then it automatically will have value, valuations, and people will love it. People want to come and talk to you, invest, buy, do whatever. Uh, that's a great uh, learning for all of us, uh, Naveen. Thank you so much <clears throat> for that. So coming to you, Satish, uh, you were, so your, your <coughs> in your corporate journey, uh, I'm sure you learned a lot. Uh, what are the most important things that you, which you learned in your corporate journey, because you spent a lot of time in the corporate in Red Hat, which you could also use in your entrepreneurial journey? So what things can pick up from our corporate journeys and can use that in our entrepreneurial journey? Yep. So I think the most key thing that, that I took from my corporate journey is uh, the ability to, to execute on a vision. I think this is something that I had the privilege to experience that with that. The, the way that the, the company is to operate is uh, we build products or platforms based on uh, what we see as an industry need and then also collaborating with uh, a various set of com communities that is coming up with various kind of projects. Uh, so Red Hat is trying to build a platform using all these different projects that's up there. Uh, it's not just about taking the projects, but also kind of addressing uh, what the market needs or what the gaps exist when it comes together. So, so for me, uh, that 17 years, like uh, there are different 
mini ventures that has been started in that, which is like, uh, and it, it goes through uh, every phase that we experience today in uh, uh, in, in the startup world. Uh, the only thing was like, uh, yeah, you don't need to chase investors. Uh, you only need to convince uh, a set of executives within the company, right? So that's the only difference I see because there also it goes in the same way scenario. If you have a vision or if you see a spot an opportunity, how do you end up convincing everybody else in the ladder saying that, okay, this is something that uh, uh, we see as an opportunity. The, the market is demanding it. The technologies are maturing. The, the, so everything is aligning well. So um, now this is a strategy that we need to uh, do this. Um, and I also experience, okay, it is not that okay, every proposal or every uh, opportunity is spot. And if you move a proposal, it is not that okay, every proposal will get the same level of acceptance. So there are, you also need to deal with rejections and, and maybe the rejections might end up, you're completely dropping that because the, you accept the feedback, things are not ready. Or it might be more in terms like, okay, you, you go back to your drawing board, um, um, improve it and based on the feedback and then go back again and submit it. Because in some cases, that's a good strategy. And that's again, um, all depends on how you take the feedback, right? In, the, in a way that okay, you, you still believe that okay, there is there's an opportunity, and you you understood the the, the flaws in your, uh, in your in your pitch initially, and then uh, work on the feedback, improve the thing, and make it um, make it look relevant to the to the stakeholders. I think that's the same thing that we are also doing in the, in the startup world. Like when when we started the company, uh, the set of customers, the investors that we have. Uh, those are the not those are not the only investors that we reached out right it is like we had a lot of conversations and and a few kind of materialize and the few kind of get to a point where yeah we both get on uh, agreement on where we are going what we're doing and all those things but in the process you also need to deal with uh, a lot of rejections at least in, in our case okay, yeah um, there are people who has their own reasons to doubt in terms of where it go and whether there is a market and that all comes from uh, their own experience of the market. So, so, but as as, as uh, <coughs> well, Dinesh was pointing out, in terms of when this also become a critical parameter when you select your investors, because one of the things we keep on doing is we kind of look in terms of the investor portfolio and and try to see uh, what kind of investments or what kind of companies are they investing on, because that gives a picture in terms of are they ready to take risk or are they ready to be uh, stay invested on something that that might take maybe a couple of years to realize or, or show it its potential so we do that and then kind of it also give you an idea in terms of like um, what should be uh, your your pitch strategy in terms of like how you should be outlining a problem and because if if, if an investor who is investing in all deep tech companies and also always looking for the future uh, he's not looking to see a pitch that kind of say I'm going to make money in two years, right? And and because it's it's not something that will that will relate to them. And then from the, their experience, they can they can say much better than us saying that that's not going to work out because um, you're not building something that can. Uh, if you're calling it a deep tech, it is not something that uh, uh, that can get to market so fast. So so yeah, so having those kind of uh, things as your checklist is good. Yes, a lot of things can come from the corporate experience, but. I think um, I think I'll, I'll say the key is uh, don't build don't try to build anything within a box. Like always try and get out in the market. Be talk to your friends, talk to your customers, talk to talk to people who are working in other companies who might be doing something similar or, or try attempt at something. Also, if you have the ability, like okay, I we, I personally use LinkedIn a lot in, in that case to try and see uh, talk to. People.
their items and then try to understand like uh, what went wrong because we, we always say that a lot of startups um, uh, did not reach their potential and they kind of uh, goes away uh, before that. So, and, and talk to them and try to see um, what went wrong, right? Uh, is the technology element or is the, uh, is the market opportunity? Or, so it, it, it's all about like taking a lot of learning and then kind of uh, charting your, your path. So, so having corporate experience is good, but I'll not say that, look, that's, that's something you really, really need to start a startup. It is all about like how you go and accumulate that experience. Are you having experience or you build a team that has an experience or you keep on learning by talking to more and more people and, and pick up on things. Makes sense. Makes sense. So yes. Yeah, so uh, Satish is definitely emphasizing on the fact that you can actually learn a lot from your corporate experience, how to build teams, how to train, how to how to behave in the office, how to make sure that uh, you have a fabulous team. Because team at the end of the day, which will make you or break you, break you or break your company, is a very important part of our, of our ventures. Uh, Dinesh, um, one question to you. You mentioned about uh, <clears throat> the product market fit. Uh, of an idea and how much people can pay and market size and all of that. This is one, one thing, of course, one must consider being practical and rational or logical. Then there are a second set of innovators, okay? Second set of entrepreneurs who are just passionate and they're driving their company based upon one thing, passion. Suppose somebody has passion for meditation and that person will just give everything to meditation, the app, the market around it. He would not perhaps care about the market fit or how many people will pay, not pay, competition. They are just merely driving their company based on one thing, which is passion. And if you put so much passion in something, you are bound to succeed. Uh, <clears throat> what do you say about them who are not really checking all of that, but just driving and running based on passion? So in terms, in terms of an entrepreneurship journey, the one thing which is important is not, as I said, product fit and everything is important for an investor in order to invest. But it's in terms of an entrepreneur, the one thing which is very important is he not giving up. No matter what the obstacle is, he not giving up. Whether it's he driving towards his passion or he's driving towards a product fit, the once he comes to a stage that no matter what, he has to make sure this goes ahead and that not giving up strategy or ideology is in him, there's no way he's going to lose it. So when you talk about finding a market fit and all those things is to convince yourself at times if you're not passionate enough, because that's what drives you. And it is also to convince others about your passion because there is the fact. But the other way around is proving that I have a passion to it and I'll definitely win it. And these are my strategies and these are my methods. So either way, the product fit and other things will just induce the passion in you for driving towards that. But if you already have the passion, that will give you enough success to it. Great. I think that's a great point. So taking his question to, uh, taking his answer to Naveen. Naveen, one of the very important <clears throat> quality entrepreneur should have is not to give up, not to, not to get bogged down, never say die, not always go, go with the solution. So these are the qualities in an entrepreneur. Now, 95, 95%, 90% of the, of, the, of the companies, of the startups fail in the first three or four years. Now, now <clears throat> when should they give up? A lot of times they would put mortgages and borrow and beg and steal and try to run the company. But uh, sometimes entrepreneurs fail to decide when should they give up and when should they let, let go? Uh, what's your comment on that? 
I suppose that is the billion-dollar question, you know. <laughs> but uh, there is a there is something to be said about the grit. I think that's the word being used for the the entrepreneurial spirit and the the passion and the drive to not giving up. But yes, I would. I think you know something that Satish said. You know, it's basically, you know, uh, having that network of people that you can depend upon, whether it's, first of all, your customer that is telling you, you know, whether your product is the right fit or not, whether it's your conversations, you know, in uh, in your attempt to raise, raise the money, you know, when you're trying to have these conversations. And, you know, there are, irrespective of where you are, you know, whether you are in North America or whether you are in India, you know, there is a, you know, pretty seasoned investor network and these these folks are actually willing to talk you know so you can simply go and you don't have to necessarily go and present your pitch deck you know or you can have uh the i mean personally to me you know this is a great soundboard you know they can give you you know their feedback based upon their experiences based upon the other companies they have seen in the space and they are good checkpoints to you and they will give you enough indicators, you know. And I think, you know, one of the philosophies that I have is that, you know, we we as an individuals have to have something like a, you know, a third eye or a, and a you know, basically a way uh, to watch over yourself, you know. So always evaluate yourself, you know, your company, your work, your employees, you know, you know, from the eyes and ears of somebody else you know you being you have a third person perspective into your own actions you know where your company is headed you know what your clients are saying you know rather impartially and you know you would pick up the right signals you know and it'll come down to you know making the call based upon those signals you know do they amplify together to compel you to continue forward or they are giving you, you know, mixed signals and the signals are mixed enough for you to basically rethink, reevaluate and start over. So that's a very important, important point. So you, uh, what Naveen is saying, you would pick up the signals, but I, I'm saying you should pick up the signals uh, of, of these customers and people around you, your product, your feedback, you should pick up the signals and then decide what's your way, what's your way forward. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, we're almost done. If you have any questions on the IP side of how IP can bring valuation to your company, any question on patents, trademarks, how, how we help your clients, or any question that you want to ask to a fellow speaker, you can shoot now. Perhaps nobody was ready for that. I think, all of us, uh, I think all of us are in the same journey of getting the intellectual properties registered. So everyone ever in the same page. Yeah, very good, very good. Excellent. That's a great, it's a great thing that you guys are doing. Guys, uh, really, really, again, thank you so much for being a giver. You did, you did give away a lot of secrets, a lot of your secret sauce, uh, your, your experience in tidbits, which people can use, especially in these times, to run their companies properly, efficiently, uh, a lot of people are struggling. A lot of people have also lost their jobs and lives. Uh, some people have lost their bed. Some families have lost their bed earners. A lot of this information and knowledge you just gave out today as a giver. 
would be helpful and would be disseminated on different medias thank you so much for being a giver and really appreciate talking to you have a fantastic day ahead request thank you thank you man thank you thank you guys take care bye bye stay safe bye bye